Welcome to Embrace the Musica, where we're going to dig into the raw, vulnerable, tough, and beautiful pieces of this journey called life. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. My husband is from Peru, and we met salsa dancing 10 years ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. Here we are today raising two lovely tricultural kids. We speak more Spanish than English in our home and do a lot of salsa dancing in the kitchen. Embrace the Musica is going to be a place where we talk about what it's like being married to someone from a completely different culture, living in a place that neither of us grew up in, being a working mom, constantly fighting or accepting cultural norms, and all the things that keep us afloat, which includes a lot of heart and humility. So let's embrace the Musica today. Hi everyone, welcome to Embrace the Musica. This week, I am so honored to have invited another good friend. Her name is Katrina Wyant. She is an educator, she's a mother, she's a small business owner, and she wears so many different hats as she is helping many, many people in schools and beyond with all the different content that she's created. So I wanted to invite her today to tell us a little bit about how she does it all and how she got started with this idea. It was a huge undertaking at the beginning and just to see how much her team, her business and her um, impact has grown over the years is quite remarkable. So thank you, Katrina, for being a part of Embrace the Musica this week. Can you tell us, first off, a little bit about your journey, what brought you to Mexico, and how you ended up doing all the different things you're doing today? Thank you so much for inviting me. It really is an honor because I listened to this podcast as an inspiration, and it has been amazing. So this is uh, just such a highlight of my week to be invited to yours. So thank you. Um, Yes, I came to Mexico now 15 years ago, and it did start with knowing and having people we knew here and connection and good, deep friendships. And so I took a uh, exchange program to learn Spanish in college, ended up loving Mexico, loving Spanish, loving the culture and learning a ton. And so after I finished my degrees in the States, I decided to come back to Mexico. And by that time, I definitely had an interest to stay. Um, I had a boyfriend down here, so that definitely love brings you back. And I don't regret that at all. (laughs) I think that was one of the best things in life uh, so far. And I I just ended up staying. We ended up making a life here and a business here. And our kids have been born here. And um, it has been quite the journey, but wonderful. So Katrina, can you tell us a little bit about that journey, about maybe what it looked like? I'm sure that like many, maybe you came here with one intention and you ended up doing something else. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that process and what it looked like for you? It definitely has evolved a lot, but I have enjoyed the the evolution, I think, of everything. Um, I love the area of growing and education. And um, so I did always have the interest uh, on the developmental side of things as a country or as a region. 
And um, that is, is pretty much what I studied was the development uh, internationally uh, and with international studies and Latin American studies. So I expected to do something that was uh, if, somehow including the development of uh, countries, uh, but I didn't know exactly what that was going to be. However, the first um, job that I got in Guadalajara was a teaching job, teaching English. That seemed to be high demand. And I did not feel well equipped, although I did have little experience teaching, uh, either whether it be uh, Sunday school or uh, I did do a lot of um, citizenship and English classes in the States as well for foreigners. And so I always loved the contact with people and facilitating um, some sort of solution or um, ability that would give people another tool in their box. And I, I grew to see how much English did provide that for a lot of people. And then uh, I fell in love with it and decided to get more equipped in that area and eventually um, really enjoyed being with the teachers and connecting and making educational communities within schools and saw a huge lack of uh, that in Mexico in general. There was not a ton of um, incorporated and helpful teaching communities existing in schools. They were extremely competitive with each other, not well, school to school, but inside the school, teacher to teacher. And I felt that that was so counterproductive to what a school can do and what teachers are so capable of and what um, the main goal of teaching is. And so I, it did spur me on to see that need of developing also something that would connect teachers. So I, I eventually made my way more towards um, curriculum development and teacher training. And that got me into writing a whole series of books one by one for EFL learning and then managing that. And that turned into a business, a small business that we run. And now we have it in several schools. And we try to provide along with the curriculum, a very solid um, follow-up program for teachers. You could call it a type of coaching, you could call it a type of monitoring or coordination for them to have. And so my job evolved from uh, starting teaching kindergarten. I was in kindergarten and um, working my way up through almost all the grades at some point coordinating uh, schools English departments for several years while having this project on the side and developing that project and then schools who are just so generous allowing me to pilot it at the same time and so that went on for several years through being coordinator or director of different academic uh, projects here in the city and this is actually the first year I am not tied to a specific one school coordinating their department while trying to keep my business. It's the first year that uh, has been different and, and I've only been sticking to the English program and coordinating the coordinators now that we employ. And so that's a different position from before. So a lot of involvement. Yeah, it's really incredible to see the kind of growth that you've had and not only growing in your career, but when you came here, you know, thinking you can teach English. I know we have a lot of friends who have done just that, 
But you went beyond that. You didn't just start teaching. You actually saw the need for more materials and resources and better pedagogy in the classrooms. So I'm curious, as a fellow educator, how did you get started? Did you have to start from scratch creating all of these materials or what was your strategy? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I did start from scratch, I'd have to say that, because I was seeing things not from an educator's previous background, like my degree was not, did not start in education. It ended up there, but I didn't have these like preconceived ideas going into EFL, ESL type uh, learning. And I ended up really diving into um, what sparked it all off was a lot of these schools I worked at or saw or worked with eventually uh, claimed to be bilingual schools. And I started thinking, what is that term? Why are we using this when, to me, it means one thing. To people here, it meant something else. And it was just being used to market something. And I, I didn't agree with it. So I started really digging into that, looking in bilingual um, educational methods and, and theories. And uh, so that became a study for several years and also added on to other types of EFL and ESL studies later down the road. But that term really sparked something because I felt like it was not congruent with what was being sold. And, and so, and I felt like connected to that, there wasn't a consistent, solid program that someone, that an EFL teacher or someone like you, you said, people come here all the time and that's what they end up doing sometimes. And, and, um, and yes, it's true, but it wasn't necessarily, I saw something that was consistent for someone like that to follow. And so if they just fell into EFL teaching, um, then uh, they didn't necessarily, or they weren't educators from the beginning either. And uh, so I eventually studied a bunch of uh, theories and methodologies, and I did start with the Secretary of Education in Mexico's program. I looked at their outline at the time uh, for the different subjects. I looked at math and science for every grade um, from kindergarten up until uh, middle school and uh, ninth grade, which is what they have here. And we started looking, we, I, I think, started looking at what are they asking students to accomplish? What is their um, end goals? What are their objectives? Because I didn't want to move too far away from what the education program in general here in Mexico was offering and was in trying to accomplish. And then I looked at what did they offer for their English program because at the time it was only in their secondary or middle school area um, required. And then I looked at the state where I'm from because I have also teacher friends. I'm from Washington State. So I looked at their grade level expectations at the time and I had some of the teachers input to me what they thought. And I looked at all of the different things in each grade and tried to pull out the most practical um, English learning uh, objectives that I could see between the two. So that that's how it started but i eventually ended up really looking at all the methodology and creating methods from those methodologies or from those objective lists that i thought were uh, achievable and a lot of what i saw on the secretary of education list uh, was not necessarily what i saw in the classroom being achieved or what i saw as a international stint which mexicans would hold a u.s uh 
grade level expectation standard as international standard and say, we want that. Uh, and I didn't see all of that applied here in the same way with kids learning English as a, a second or a foreign language uh, context being applicable the, in the same way that it should be. And so I started to think like, this doesn't work. What we're doing doesn't work. What do we need to work? And so then I, I started, and now to this day, I think I have helped several schools create their own line of objectives and methodology they would like to use inside their school and just helping them understand the terminology as well that if you're going to call yourself bilingual this is what we can do this is what we can achieve this is the process at this age that could really connect and give you results and so trying to tweak that personally now for each school has been um, I think a joy because I do feel like it really can help them not just um, paste something on top of what they would like but be able to um, achieve something uh, through the process and know that that's going somewhere. I love seeing all this work you're doing, Katrina, specifically in the public schools and getting in there and providing quality education and materials and resources and also really focusing on that community and that idea of sharing between one another um, in the educational system. So I think that's awesome. You're doing a lot just to change culture within um, that area. But then something else I know that you and I have talked about, which is a little more personal, is this idea of culture and fitting in in a different country or with traditions or the customs, maybe the way things are done. And so, as I said, this is a little more personal and I don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit, but you're definitely living in a very unique situation but it's also a situation in which you and your family are thriving. Can you tell us a little bit about life at home? Yeah, we have a different situation um, in our house, actually, than a lot of people probably experience at this age. So uh, our family, the family of four, I have two girls, uh, and they're both in elementary school. And... Um, we also have my in-laws with us at this time. They are sharing the house with us. And so that has been um, a little different, but at the same time, it has been so enriching and uh, so positive of an experience, if I wanna label it that or give it that context, um, because I have been able to experience um, a lot of different things in, within culture or within just personal relationship and how that looks. And I think there's been a lot of enjoyable aspects to reflect on. So being from the States and, and culturally not living with your parents, with your own family at this point um, is not very normal or not very seen. Uh, it's not as common. I know there's situations that do exist, but uh, we don't normally think of it that way uh, as we have a growing family at the moment. Um, so it, it, ha it was a, a little bit of a different idea for me to get used to in the beginning, but some of the great things that have come out of it what has been watching the relationship from my 
um, daughters and their grandparents and how they're able to really enjoy uh, the company and the different things and the teaching experiences that come from grandparents that go to the grandkids, which are really cool um, to watch. It's, it's really also enlightening to see their perspective on things. And just talking about that cultural aspect and not growing up with that idea, um, I think learning about other cultures than my own around the world, not just here, uh, did open my perspective to the fact that in many cultures, uh, as the parents grow older, they have a different dynamic or expectation about family that the sons and daughters would somehow take over the responsibility of caring for the older generations. And that has a lot to do with socioeconomics uh, and, and where you live, uh, such as uh, not having a retirement plan um, or that not being built in to society um, several years ago or decades ago. Um, unless you were on the, you know, upper 1% of the community where you didn't, you didn't even have to really plan a retirement. You just had so much investment that it was, it was there, but that's a 1% population possibly that we're talking about or less. So, um, for the rest of, of people, uh, a lot of that, I think in the world is a different type of scenario. And so I did take a look at that aspect and my own adaptability to that, my own perspective and what maybe needed to be changed. And then it was a gradual step-by-step application. And in this case, I really have the best in-laws ever. Um, they are amazing. They are supportive. They are clean. <laughs> they are um, very respectful of knowing that we all share a space together. And so uh, I think everyone makes the effort to uh, have those spaces available, have the interaction where it, where it remains in common places and have other spaces in the house where we know that we can have a moment to ourselves if we need to. And I think just that daily interaction, it's necessary um, to have those different spaces for everyone. And and that makes it work and that makes it a whole lot easier for everybody. And my in-laws are super active anyways. So if they are uh, anything, they are super social and love to be around. So this time of confinement has been really difficult even for them because they're used to being out and about. They love to go get an afternoon coffee at the corner and go to a little store every day. And that's been reduced to, you know, your once a week grocery shopping. So... It's been hard for them, but through it all, they've done fabulous at just um, cooperating and helping the family. Uh, and we've had an amazing, amazing family time uh, as well. Even just the four of us and knowing how we interact and how we can have time together and then everyone together as well. So that's been just amazing. Thank you so much, Katrina, for sharing something personal. And I think something that yes is very cultural but it does also affect a lot of us and it's great to hear your positive experience um thinking about all your years abroad and you know being a foreigner in a different country i know we have listeners who are just starting out their expat journey so what have been some of your um, biggest takeaways or like pieces of advice that you would give to somebody 
who might be moving abroad or might be starting this journey? I think one important aspect is um, to analyze your own adaptability to things. And if you can maintain an open heart and an open mind and learn from the opportunities you have somewhere else, um, I think there's no end to that. I think that that can uh, keep opening windows and doors in your life and keep you balanced as a person as you observe how others live. I know that um, talking about the term expat, I don't even think I've ever used that about myself because I tried really hard to adapt here. Uh, I wanted to go through that experience and I wanted to speak good Spanish <laughs> or Spanish well. I wanted to uh, experience the culture and the differences and celebrate those differences while, while doing that. Also, in retrospect, it made me appreciate my own culture and what I grew up with. Um, I think that part came later for me because I was not analyzing that or looking at that until later, but that um, that adaptability to something else also made me appreciate and see the parts of culture that I came from and that I wanted to preserve and to uphold and to have included in my family or in my life. And so those things have been, um, I think, one of the the important things that that has helped. Yeah, helped live. <laughs> No, thank you for bringing that up, Katrina. I think it's so important, no matter where we are or where we're moving to or whatever the case is, that we really do take some time to analyze ourselves and also appreciate and embrace the culture that we're choosing to live in if we are moving to another country. Another thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap things up is I know that right now your business has had to pivot and change and adapt a little bit given the current circumstances and that you also have a team working with you. Can you tell us a little bit how you're managing a team of people during this crisis that we're all experiencing right now? We have amazing, amazing people that work for us that have been equally um, adaptable to the changes during this time and so um, just easy to um, help facilitate the changes that we have to start implementing even if we change them day to day. Uh, it's been so hard to plan and I don't think that that has impaired our vision for where we want to go and where we want to be. Uh, we want to definitely be growing and impacting more schools and communities. We definitely would love to have public schools have more access to us um, and be able to facilitate that. And so our, our staff, since they have education grounds, um, have been so adapting to the needs, going online, taking all of our training online right now. Um, observing teachers classes online right now um, just being able to give everything in a uh, email and a link and a drive and a share has been um, part of our life so far but it has forced I think others to have that need right now and so uh, I feel on the one hand for that side of things because of uh, like you mentioned the Google 
involvement. Uh, it has at least made us ready because that was one thing I had the staff do was at least become certified uh, so that we could e easily facilitate materials to people anywhere. And so they've done an amazing job. Um, one of the hardest things right now is schools are closed physically and we are so used to rotating physically to the schools like going in person, whether it's for um, a sales call such as promoting our materials to the school or a routine visit we might have scheduled to coach uh, teachers on or um, help with something and we run different things like we have a mobile library that's involved in, in trying to get reading culture up and we have visits to rural communities with public schools and seeing how we can impact that day for that group and and so those being cut out um, they've done an amazing job going online and I think that they were uh, prepared for it I think that we had those things in place which was amazing to, to consider but we're seeing so many schools that that don't so it, it's just a big window to help all of those schools at the moment. Absolutely. And I know worldwide with education right now, we are seeing that gap, you know, and it's growing even greater right now with questions of equity and accessibility to devices and online learning and resources. So that's awesome that you had your team ready to go, that you had already done a lot of things virtually. So for anybody that's interested in learning more about what you're doing with Best Academy or any of the other programs you're running, how can people find you if they would like to learn more? Yeah, we online, uh, the Best Academy Company, which also has uh, links and shows our connection to Scholastic and nonprofit work, um, is at bestacademyefl.com. And you can also uh, find our contacts and social media on the webpage. Uh, and also, if someone was interested or in just contacting me directly, they can definitely have my email at katrinawyan at gmail, which is a personal email.com uh, for any questions or involvement. And we're super happy to collaborate and share and uh, be a part. Well, thank you so much, Katrina, for taking the time to be a part of Embrace the Musica today. It's so fun for me to hear everybody's stories and their journeys and realize, you know, how they got to where they are today. So thank you. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you were encouraged by the message, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag me so that we can keep growing together. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica. <laughs>